Hi, this is Design Lota, the podcast about life as Indian designers. I'm Angie and I'm Sushi. We are back with part 2 of our conversation with textile designer Aditi Jain. In part 1, we spoke about colonization of textiles and crafts, fast fashion and the maintenance ecosystem needed to give the power back to indigenous textiles. In part 2, we talk a little more about the decisions made on either side of this equation, makers and consumers. I think transparency definitely helps. like when the consumer can know more about how and where the product was made for example fair trade certification seeing the factory all of this along with clear maintenance instructions we're also seeing brands that appeal to the aspirational minimalist or specific lifestyle choices the philosophy behind everlane's uniform clothing line can be seen in a lot of indian brands today but tailored to indian tastes colors and fits yeah It's been interesting to see how this minimal style plays together with uh, our Indian crafts and results in something that isn't trying so hard to be boring. <laughs> On that note, let's pass the mic to Aditi because she has a lot to say about the evolution and resilience of Indian crafts. So how has the lockdown been? Do you want to share about how you've been working remotely with the artisans? So I was actually really worried that uh, given how you know verbal knowledge is how they uh, work how would we manage with this whole <laughs> lockdown and work from home because it's very difficult now to do this over video so you know but anyway we had to right and i'm really surprised that uh, all of them have been more than accommodating uh, we i have been making now spec sheets and design artworks on illustrator so the office has been in the middle uh, you know coordinating it they have any doubts they call me and we are discussing it but they've all accepted this new format as well so i guess when people say that our craftsmen and crafts are resilient i mean this has been my first hand experience of it you know that they don't back down now that they know they have to make do with the situation they are more than happy to accommodate whatever comes their way also one of the things i've noticed of uh, coming out of this situation is that i've seen a lot of artisanal clusters uh, and small businesses also covid-19 protective masks Uh, using traditional fabrics and i think some of them are beautiful it was a good way to sort of uh, if if your income has been affected by the pandemic then i think that also figuring this out as an alternate income stream where you're not waiting around for people to buy your traditional products but instead you're using this as an opportunity to innovate and put yourself out there and say that i'm i'm here with these solutions for this problem yes so i think that's that's a really uh, great development yeah also i i mean crafts have evolved over the last uh, you know few centuries right it's never been static so this pandemic is a reality that we're all living in so a craftsman response to it is to make products that you know are suitable to this pandemic right so i guess going back to the whole resilience of crafts that they are able to adapt to this they are able to adapt their products to suit what is needed now so people also even if they are buying the mask to support uh, it is also something they can use for them it's uh, you know two things in one so i do think it's really great uh, that some of them have really managed to catch on to this it also shows uh, entrepreneurial skills it does yeah. yeah but i of course i mean as long as they maintain the parameters 
that a mask is supposed to have i guess it's all it's great yeah so i think sort of being a technical product in a way it also has to meet certain norms right like how many layers and, yeah. and the thread count correct i think those are yeah. important we also have seen a lot of innovative textiles being used in these masks so things like uh, bamboo fiber which is said to be antimicrobial and you have also uh, things like pineapple silk and oh yeah even for like your regular fabrics i think the past 5 years have seen a lot of unconventional fibers uh, like pineapple leather and tencel and even things like recycled nylon so do you think that these materials have potential to be materials of the future and what is your take on these man made textiles um i believe each material has its own uh, place you know so while i personally prefer natural fibers we need different materials for different purposes and uh, i've been a vegan for the last couple of years so i'm always excited for new materials that uh, could serve as an alternative to silk which are also nature friendly so there is definitely immense potential for these to become the future but uh, my skepticism starts where we come to the issue of overconsumption and unethical practices so like uh, bt cotton in an attempt to address uh, the demand for cotton has really done more harm than good so i'm often wondering is bt cotton really vegan friendly like can i actually just wear something that's made of bt cotton and say that i'm being uh, conscious given like we're using pesticides and chemicals and uh, even farmers lives have come in question because of it so likewise i feel any material new or old it does have the potential to become exploitative which is where problem is so when we talk about like the future of textile immediately it only means is it scalable and when we talk about uh, scalability then it is consumption and overconsumption so what what i'm gathering from what you're saying is that maybe the parameters by which we judge a textile a fabric about whether it's going to be a future material or not should not uh, be focused only on scalability and mass production correct because that in turn leads to consumerism and unsustainable practices you ironed out my thoughts for me <laughs> you know even speaking of ironing I just had a thought on our iron boxes which maybe the actual technology behind it has uh, evolved o- over the many years but if you look at the labels on it it's still the same old labels that were there like maybe 50 years ago right yeah. so it's like silk cotton wool linen but then when we are talking about these so called smart textiles and textiles yeah. of the future I think that sometimes it's irrelevant because most of our clothes are not like pure cotton or pure linen anymore they they're blends yeah. so that I think in terms of also uh, preserving the longevity of your fabrics it's important to to know at what temperature to wash your fabrics at what temperature to iron your fabrics yeah. uh, what do you think about um creating a different sort of system for labeling clothing on on how to increase the life of clothing are there some initiatives like that do you think we need some initiatives like that uh the thing is of course each material requires different uh, kind of handling right so um, one of the things is trying not to mix too many different materials together so that it's easy to maintain like if you have something say an outfit that has cotton 
panel and a silk panel, then immediately you'll have to dry clean it because of the silk. So if it was just cotton, then it makes it easier to maintain. You can just do a, you know, wash at home. So even silk, I mean, it can be washed at home, but I guess we're all really paranoid. But it is a challenge. It's definitely, so that's why it's very important for brands to give those uh, proper wash care labels or to give, there are standard icons for understanding how to take care of the fabric. But I think uh, we need a glossary to understand. Because <laughs> many times it's really uh, complex also. You really need to have a glossary at hand. So I'm not really too sure of how uh, that issue can really be addressed. Maybe it's it's an interesting design problem for our listeners. Yeah, actually. Pretty recently, I, I bought this kurta which said 100% man-made fiber. Oh. And I ironed it at the silk temperature and it was not getting ironed. So then I ironed it at the cotton temperature and then the fibers dissolved. What? <laughs> yeah. okay. And I'd worn this like once. Uh, that I did not expect. <laughs> So it depends on, I guess, what man-made fiber, which is strange to just say man-made fiber. Why wouldn't you say what fiber? Exactly. Yeah, which is also why I thought of this question and I, I brought it up in whatever <laughs> crude way. Uh, but I think it's definitely a design problem. Whether the solution is in terms of educating the customer or just having better labeling system. Yeah. Or just design it to be simple, you know. Why complicate the washing and ironing of a garment so much? Right. So even to just reduce... Uh, the clothes that go into the machine, I just air them out, wear them again on alternate days. Yeah, I think even washing something too many times sort of reduces the life. Yeah. And I've also uh, read that uh, keeping it at a low temperature when you wash it yeah, yeah, yeah. also helps in most cases. That is, you don't need to heat up water to be washing clothes. Yeah, so I guess altogether it's like a win-win for sustainability. <laughs> yeah. So we just talked about how the technology can improve a lot, but uh, not actually become more sustainable or have a have a positive impact unless you rethink parameters and things like that. So do you think, just if you have any thoughts uh, about how textiles can sort of get smarter and what that would mean and if textiles can solve problems which are related to technology? I don't know if you've heard of the Google Jacquard uh, project. So basically what they did is uh, they wove like conductive yarn into fabric while weaving. Okay. Yeah. And then they have this tag that they attach to that material. So you can do gesture functions over the tag and, you know, it controls the garments in certain ways. Wow. Or you can use the garment to give instructions to your phone. So if you like double tap on your sleeve, then it takes a picture on your phone. <laughs> I guess it's still in a very nascent stage, but it does have a lot of potential to become quite fantastic. I've even read somewhere, I'm not exactly sure what the material is, but it's sort of biomimicry where they're trying to, according to the temperature, the material opens and closes. And it's not like a mechanical thing. Like Google one, they've used a conductive wires, but this is not that. This is some bacteria that they've used or something complex. There's also, uh, I think, something called BioCouture. They make textiles out of algae and fungus, you know. So you can even make the textile into the pattern that you want. Wow. Yeah, like if you have a, a stencil of sorts, then you can just grow it in that form. <laughs> so basically saving on cutting waste and all of that, right? 
So I, I guess that would kind of cost a lot having like a little algae factory that's producing something for you of algae workers, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. So again, I think when you think about that in terms of scalability or like why on earth would I want to wear a garment made of algae? Uh, I think maybe it may not make sense, but then I think the use cases sort of arise out of problems that you might face. So it's interesting how these experiments lead to some of the most innovative products, uh, especially in a time when the lines are sort of blurred between technology and living. Yeah, absolutely. It's also a little scary, I- I've got to admit. <laughs> yeah, it is. Especially with privacy concerns now. <laughs> Imagine if you're actually wearing something that's tracking you at all times. Yeah, your algae knows what you were doing last night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, which would be pretty boring to the algae, honestly. <laughs> so what is it about textiles that excites you the most? Ah, uh, Okay, it's uh, the technicality of it, you know. Like the whole concept of weaving itself, it just amazes me because um, it's so mathematical. So I'm often wondering, how did somebody think of this? Like who was the first person... Uh, whoever thought like okay let's stretch yarn like this and make or you know I'm sure there was an evolution to it it didn't just come about but you know it's just really fantastic that a simple thing like weaving which just is like one up and down motion and within that there are so many permutations and combinations and one can experiment with to create uh, different uh, feels and textures and whatnot. So that is just really crazy, I think. Um, also, when you look at ikat, there's ikat in different parts of the world, in different forms. And each is more intricate than the other. And it's complex. Like, how does one tie and dye yarn and place it properly enough to get a final image yeah. on a sari? I've always wondered, yeah. how on earth how on earth does anyone have the skill to sort of calculate that and make it? It's crazy. Right? It really is. And, uh, you know, even uh, when you look at embroidery, it's a mark-making technique, right? So, but in different parts, there are different styles. There are so many versions to it. And all of these versions of a single uh, technique are because of the different stories and the context that they have come out of. And to me, that's really, you know, it's very intriguing. So to me, uh, inspiration is more about the people and the stories that they come with and how can we work with that to make it worthwhile. So even when you look at embroidery, they can be, um, like even in Kutch, there are four, five or many different styles. Uh, some are more freehand, some are counted. Uh, so the idea is to work with those instead of trying to force fit something there that, you know, as designers, we tend to do that. We have a certain idea and we want that to be replicated but it needs to be more collaborative where we are able to just work sort of with what they give us and that process is really exciting for me because you don't really know what you're going to end up with but that journey and that process is it's a lot of fun so we are actually doing this work with one embroidery lombardi group firm in tamil nadu so i have been connected to them over uh, this lockdown and so we started with some sampling and our whole conversation has been on WhatsApp. I send them some fabric and I send them a basic 
an artwork of okay this is what i'm looking for but you guys if you feel like no this is not going to work or it's too difficult or if you have any other ideas you're free to experiment so he is like sending me pictures back and forth and he's doing some sketch and he's showing the yarn and so i can really confidently say that the designs have evolved uh, as a collaborative effort and it's not just me uh, dumping my ideas on them and i'm really hoping that they've enjoyed it as much as i have so again like these are the things that really excite me when i'm working that's really interesting because i i actually wanted to ask you about how designers uh, whether it's textile designers product designers or even ux designers can work more effectively with traditional crafts people while respecting the tremendous sort of experience that they bring as well as you know also being confident enough to say that this is something that i think you should try right uh okay i'm still uh, pretty new to this <laughs> honestly it's just been a couple of years but uh, from my experience i think each cluster each group of people you know they're different and uh, you need to be open to a lot of trial and error and to a lot of surprises the important thing i guess is to understand uh, what their goals are like what do they want at the end of this and uh, what their motivation is because then you know what language to speak to them in also and i guess building a rapport is key i don't think without building a relationship any work can get done so once there is a relationship and once there is a rapport uh even they will enjoy working uh with you and that just then you know it just sort of grows and expands into something bigger thank you for that very insightful answer <laughs> so who are some of the inspiring textile designers or organizations to follow in 2020 and i think we have a lot of time on our hands to be <laughs> following these people now <laughs> so yes um okay so again i don't know about 2020 in specific but there are a lot of wonderful artists and designers again i'm just going to stick to the textile related ones yeah so a friend of mine riddhi she runs a brand called uh, studio medium and she does some really fantastic work with some resistance uh, techniques inspired by uh, shibori uh, the japanese um, resistance work and uh, even within weaving she's you know really taken jamdani to a different uh, on a on a different uh, tangent um so yeah i mean i think her work is pretty exciting uh, oh she's also using like the remnants from like after when you remove a bandhani piece there's colored yarn that they used yeah. to tying she's using that to make something new wow so she's uh, another level of crazy honesty and uh, there's a chennai based uh, brand called kamli uh, run by kamla and she works with uh, textile scraps to make uh, new products and she's doing some really fantastic well finished uh, work you know so in fact i've been working with her to uh, make some uh, upcycle some sarees uh, for sarangi there's uh, anu sharma who runs button masala where he makes garments with just buttons and uh, then there are organizations like khamir uh, kala raksha handloom school they're all directly working with the communities in uh, craft education uh, they're teaching uh, youngsters in weaving in designing so they can sort of become independent in okay. the whole process and they don't have to necessarily be from a, a textile family or a background so it's yeah it's fantastic work 
and uh, shrujan does some really fantastic embroidery outside of india there's uh, suzy taylor who runs uh, weaving origami and she makes these uh, woven pieces with 3d elements to it inspired by origami it's it's insane you need to see it to really be blown away uh, then there's also this page called warp and weft magazine um and she's even put some of Uh, these textile books like for free now during this lockdown so uh, you know of course i went all out and downloaded <laughs> all of them uh, you know i mean they're all these old textile reference books or technical books i mean i don't yeah. understand them but i just think it's <laughs> it's nice to have them perhaps someday when i am able to decode them it will make sense so yeah lots of lots of interesting things are going on I think innovation can be found in the most unexpected places and i think the textile industry in india is something that really exemplifies that whole concept yes absolutely so this has been great talking to you and really understanding textiles on the surface and getting into this whole better understanding of how it is to work with crafts people when it comes to creating something innovative together right Where can our listeners find more of your work and get in touch with you? So I have a website blog thing. I really wish I was a little more regular with posting on it. So okay, so the website is adithijain dot com. Simple. And of course, there's Instagram. So at a dot d i t dot i. We will put that in the link. Cool. So thank you so much for this. This has been a lot of fun. and i must tell you that the questions also are really so well researched so it's made it all the more uh, interesting for me to i think this has been really useful and i think um, i can uh, engage in these discussions in a more educated way uh, in, in the future wow to learn about the technological innovation in textile design and manufacturing has been so fascinating to me especially from aditi who's on the front lines We've certainly come a long way even in the past decade. I remember there were some attempts back in college where people were putting circuit boards into t-shirts to display custom messages. That's so cool. It's all about thinking about clothing in a new way, right? Like I remember seeing these expandable kids clothing that grow with the child and last up to 4 years. The design philosophy of fast fashion doesn't even allow for longevity of fabrics. which makes the system broken which is why i feel that innovative textile design needs to be complemented with circular system designs and there are some great resources that can help designers learn about fast fashion and also why and how sustainability of textiles matters we'll be listing a few on our blog post for this episode which is on our blog designlota.com along with the transcript for this episode also Hey listeners, what does innovation in textiles mean to you? Are there any specific examples that you loved? Spread the word by tweeting to us or send us a DM. We're on Instagram, Facebook and also LinkedIn, so talk to us. We're listening to. Stay tuned for more conversations on life in design and design in life. Until then, bye. Bye.